Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Catherine Cowdery. The stock market is on track for its best week in nine months, gaining for a fourth straight session, although it has started fluctuating between gains and losses in a narrow range. There's optimism about the U.S. economy and about signals from central banks that they'll continue to stave off fallout from Britain's decision to leave the European Union. Since the selling ended Monday, industrial energy and financial shares have led the rebound. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg Radio. Dow Industrial Average currently up four points, trading at 17,933. S&P 500 is up nearly one point, trading at 2,099. NASDAQ higher by nine points, an eighth of a percent at 48.51. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil up 67 cents a barrel, 1.4% to $49 even. Spot gold up $18.40 an ounce at 13.39. And the 10-year Treasury is up 7.30 seconds with a yield of 1.44%. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Brexit means Brexit. Apparently, it does not matter who is the next prime minister of the U.K., Boris Johnson's dramatic withdrawal from the conservative leadership race that he one time was favored to win. Uh, many pundits say make it all the likelier that there is no turning back now, no way to say, well, we voted to leave, but we kind of like to stay, so let's figure out how to do that. The U.K. will be leaving the European Union, so now the very important work begins of determining what it means for businesses, what it means for the U.K. economy, and, of course, uh, those who trade with them. Joining us now is someone who has been very close to this question for many years. Andy Hood is Senior Director of International Trade and Government Regulation at Deckert LLP. He's a barrister at law. He's also a former legal advisor to U.K. Prime Minister David Cameron. So, Andy, first of all, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, let's, I guess, start with the sort of the nuts and bolts of this. Um, what's going to happen next? What kind of questions are you getting at Deckert from clients about wh- wh- where do they begin? Do they wait till the, the exit actually happens? Do they have to sit and watch the headlines on what's happening in Brussels. What are you telling them? Well, it's a, it's a good question. There's a lot of uncertainty at the moment here in the UK, and I think, frankly, and more broadly across the continent of Europe, so there's a lot of political, economic, and legal uncertainty. So what we try to do is just help them navigate and, and minimize as much uncertainty as possible and to sort of think through what the options are for them. And like you say, the, the questions we get now are, where are we um, and where are we going? I mean, the short answer is um, to where we are. As you said at the beginning of this, we've got a a prime ministerial election coming up effectively with the Conservative Party, and all five leaders have said they will honour the uh, decision of the UK public on the 23rd of June to leave the EU, and that's what we can expect to see as their policy going forward. Um, but beyond that, the process is, is still far from certain. There's a, there's a process to set down in the treaties that we know about, and we can, that's our starting point there. Well, let's start with that, but I guess it's interesting because I'm, I'm assuming that when the treaties were made, that people really weren't think constant, you know, they weren't focused too much on what happens if someone leaves. I mean, this was an historic moment, right? EU, European yeah. Union, you know, coming out of two world wars and all this, right? So what, what, what is the, what is the first legal step? Uh, again, not really tested so far. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was, I mean, it was 
put into the treaty, so it's foreseen to some extent. But actually, um, and I won't get too, too technical and too legal, but for the anoraks amongst us, the, the, the treaty provisions that talk about the withdrawal don't really sort of take us through what the consequences are if, we, uh, if agreement isn't really reached. So uh, you're right. I don't think it's something that anyone ever expected, and this is a pretty unique circumstance, and it's all uncharted territory for us as lawyers and for businesses out there. So, but what is the process that we do know? It's governed by what's called Article 50 of the European Union treaties, and that really is, sets the tone for how the countries will go about um, negotiating the withdrawal of a particular member state, in this case, the UK. Um, it says that um, it's for the UK to decide when it wants to launch that process, and we've had a lot of discussion about when that would be, but I think it's looking pretty settled that it won't be before the leadership election, and maybe sometime after that, in fact. And once they've launched it, they've got up to two years to negotiate that process. It could be done sooner, or it could be done uh, over a longer period if all sides agree. But the two-year benchmark is the one that most people are looking at in order to reach an agreement just for withdrawal. So that just deals with the UK leaving and how we can tie up those loose ends. It doesn't deal with what that new relationship would look like. So does the, do all the old treaties and all the old trade relationships hold until these negotiations are complete? Yeah, exactly. So at the moment, the position, the legal position of the UK is it's a member of the EU. It's bound by all the treaties, and it's also a party to all the trade treaties that the EU has um, with other countries. Um, so all that carries on um, as normal for now. Of course, for those who are looking at this issue closely and for some large industries and large businesses, they're particularly interested about the legislation that's going through at the moment. Now, the UK remains on the um, negotiating table, but its influence has been dramatically reduced as a result of the, uh, the vote in, on the 23rd of June. So the, where the UK was normally very strong in terms of pushing for free trade agreements or liberalisation uh, or deregulation, uh, the, the voice of the UK there is much, is much diminished around the table. And yet... So many economists and attorneys and others have pointed out that the EU depends a lot on the UK in terms of selling its goods and services. We had a member of the EU parliament on from Ireland, and she was saying that for Ireland, this is certainly the case. It's true for a lot of other countries. Will that give the EU, excuse me, give the UK some leverage in their negotiations with the EU? I think we've got a lot of complicated uh, negotiations ahead. I've said before um, with Bloomberg that I um, have done trade negotiations and international negotiations for 12 years now, and I can't imagine a more complicated negotiation we've got. Um, so, yes, there is, a, there is going to be a strong interest in maintaining um, a good, solid relationship with the U.K., and the U.K. will have some leverage on some of the, um, some of the trading it does. But it goes both ways um, for, for two reasons. Firstly, we have a... At the moment, a trade deficit with the EU anyway, so it's not all in the UK's advantage. And on services, particularly around banking and financial services, where the UK provides an awful lot of um, uh, services into the EU, there's, again, strong leverage on the other side of the argument for our EU partners um, in any negotiation with the UK. So it goes both ways. It's very much a, a negotiation to be had. Andy, did, did David Cameron have any choice but to step down? Could he? Is there any way he could have stayed on as prime minister, and could he then have helped this process? Well, that's a particularly tricky question, uh, especially from someone who came from inside Number Ten. But it's 
It seems to me very difficult. I mean, the Prime Minister said that, come what may, he would remain as Prime Minister after the vote and he would launch the proceedings to leave the EU immediately. As it happens, of course, he's resigned immediately and he's not launched the process to commence. And those things, I think, think are likely. I think it goes without saying. So uh, it would have been very difficult, having argued so strongly for the deal that he secured with his partners in February, I think argued again on the basis of remaining in the EU um, to have had such a, a strong vote, over a million people voting in favour um, of leaving, for to remain. I think it would be very difficult, but obviously these incredibly personal and difficult choices for him to make, and there's, there's views on both sides of the argument as to whether he should have stayed on longer or gone. But I think, uh, I think we've seen the, the difficulties that the Tory party in particular have had in terms of mm -hmm. discussing the EU issue over the years. Uh, is his political career over, or does he step back and oh, wait to see how this plays out? There are, of course... Uh, Many have warned that there'll be a deep recession, that this will be difficult, that the, this may not favor the UK as much as those who voted to leave would think. Uh, does that mean that David Cameron then has an opportunity in the future to step back in to the uh, political spotlight and maybe even get back in that uh, seat at 10 Downing? Uh, well, I think politicians find it often very hard to leave the political spotlight. But once you've been prime minister, it's also very difficult to step back in. Um, and I can't conceive that happening. Um, I'm sure he has a bright future ahead of him uh, in all manner of ways. But I don't think that 10 Downing Street is likely to be to be calling him back. Um, but as you said, there is a, a lot of turmoil ahead and a lot of difficulty that the UK may face. And, you know, and any contribution that people can make, I think, is always going to be welcome. And he said he's certainly committed to do that for the UK. Uh, let's look at a specific industry, uh, a big one, very important for London, the City of London, the financial services industry. What What is likely for them now? Well, I think the financial services industry is going to be a big part of the negotiation of the UK's new relationship with the EU. The exact form it takes, we don't know. It depends on the new leader and it depends as you said earlier. Um, but in any negotiation, if, it, if we're looking at something like a free trade agreement to allow people to buy and sell goods and services across the border, then the, the big negotiating carrot here is going to be the financial services industry for the UK. It's, it's an enormous part of our, our economy, and it's an enormous part, frankly, of the EU's economy in the financial services world. So um, I think there's an interest in finding a way through, but it will be a big part of the negotiating tool. But the difficulty or the issue that the financial services industry now has to face is does it sit and wait to see the outcome of that um, negotiation or does it start making plans to restructure itself in a way that um, that allows it to set up in, in other parts of the EU? Okay. Uh, and I know that they are thinking through that at the moment. Andy Hood, I hope you'll join us again as we're just at the beginning of what's going to be a long process and your uh, your perspective today, most appreciated senior director and barrister at law at Deckard LLP in London, former legal advisor to UK Prime Minister David Cameron. This is Bloomberg.